Oh, we love those, <clears throat> those aha moments. Thank you, um, Mutual of Omaha, for that commercial. But we, we, <clears throat> we love it when we have those moments when the, the, the light bulb sort of comes on, you know, when you just have that sudden realization of something. Uh, we all remember those in our lives. I can remember being at the pool at Eastdale Apartments when I knew I wanted to spend the rest of my life with Stephanie in the middle of a conversation. I can remember holding Laura in the hospital in Tuscaloosa and the revelation coming to me of if I could love this baby so much, maybe I'd get just an ounce of how God loves me. I can remember sitting in the parking lot at Kmart and thinking, you know, no matter how many purchases I make here, I'm never going to be able to save this company from itself. <laughs> my, my children always made fun of me because I tried to save them. I bought so much just thinking maybe they would make it. And, and today we're going to be looking in, in Acts chapter 4 at a great aha moment in Scripture. So I hope you have your Bibles that, that you'll turn there. Let me review just a moment about what we've seen so far. We, we've seen a revolution break out in the book of Acts. We've seen the the facts of Jesus' resurrection impel a a, a revolution that cannot be stopped. Now, here's what's so interesting about this revolution that begins. It's led by a coward who's become courageous. I, I get so encouraged by that. It's Simon Peter, the very one who denies Jesus three times, who becomes the leader just a few days later of this revolution. You know, one of, one of the aha moments in my life is, is studying the life of Simon Peter and seeing how many times he messed up and blew it and said the wrong thing, and yet I saw something in God that I'd never been told about. God did not give up on him. He didn't mark him off. And in fact, when we get here to Acts chapter 2, it is Peter that God chooses to preach this sermon. So I didn't understand grace from the great treaties in Romans or Galatians. I first understood grace because of the way Jesus treated Peter. And it was that aha moment for me. And so this revolution begins led by this coward who God has empowered to be courageous. But opposition arises. Uh, But before long... The authorities are a little bit upset about this, so they call Peter and John in. They're arrested. They're threatened with their lives. You you see, they were okay with Peter believing in Jesus. They were even okay with Peter believing in the resurrection of Jesus. What they weren't okay with was Peter not shutting up about Jesus. Guys, we find ourselves in much the same place today. Nobody's upset about your own personal belief in Jesus. Nobody's even upset that you believe you really resurrected from the dead. But we will get in trouble when we don't shut up about what it means. And so we see this early Christians, they're in trouble because revolutionaries pay a big price. And guys, if we're going to have a revolution here in this church if we're going to pray for acts to happen all over again, then, then let's, let's be honest. Let's forewarn ourselves. There's a price to be paid. Your priorities will change. Peter's priorities changed from him being worried about his safety to him being willing to give his life for Jesus. 
I saw a quote the other day, I can't even remember who, who said it, but I, I thought it was a little bit revealing. He said, the early Christians were so fired up about Jesus that they're willing to give their lives. Modern Christians aren't even willing to be bored for Jesus. <laughs> That's pretty strong. Man, if I go to a Bible class and I don't think the teacher's interesting enough, man, I bail. If I'm in a church where the service is not as exciting as I think, I leave. And so he makes a comment is that, you know, the early Christians are so willing to die for Jesus, we're not even willing to put ourselves in a place where we might be bored for a few moments. And so we see this revolution that explodes. We see the opposition that comes. And yet we see these people not back down. Let's pray together. God, as we look in Scripture at this aha moment for your early disciples, God, I'm asking that you would give us that moment today. We all come into this assembly with different baggage in our life, different problems, different victories, And sometimes we don't know how to deal with it. And sometimes we put life on hold until we deal with it. God, give us that moment this morning where the light bulb would come on. That you could use us right now where we are right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Peter and John have been in prison and now they're released. They've been threatened with their life and they're released. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now, now what do you expect in this moment? I mean, they've been threatened. For some reason, they're released. I expect them to come back and go, oh, wow. We got past that one. I mean, that, 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 was, a, that was a close call. You know, okay, Next time we get out in public, we need to be a little bit more careful about what we say. I can hear us saying, I can hear me saying, well, obviously, the ground is not very fertile. People aren't very open to the gospel here in Jerusalem. Maybe we need to go somewhere where people are more open. Let's leave this place. But that's not what they do. What's recorded is the first thing they do in hearing the report about the trouble they're in is they pray. And what's going to shock us, I think, even more is what they pray about. Look at verse 24. When they heard this, that's the church, they raised their voices together. The whole church in unison begins to pray. Praying to God, sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, again, what's surprising here is what they don't pray about. I mean, you you just found out that they're in trouble. Um, You know, I mean, you've got to be smart enough to go. If if these Jewish leaders have enough leverage to have Jesus killed, they've got enough leverage to have us killed. And, And so they begin the prayer, and they don't pray what I would have prayed, which is, God, would you please protect us? Would you deliver us? Would you help us? God, would you bless us? They don't pray that. They begin to talk to the sovereign Lord. What they say is, Lord, we know that you're sovereign. What's that mean? That you are large and that you are in charge. 
Now, here's the deal. It doesn't look like it. It looks like God has lost control. And yet they affirm that he is in control. And then they continue the prayer. Verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. All of a sudden, the the dots begin to connect. The light bulb comes on. They remember this song they used to sing as children. This song from David who, who talks about the anointed one. That's the Messiah. That's Jesus. And how when he came... The authorities would be against him, and they would persecute him. And they begin to think to themselves, we've seen this. Exactly what David sang about, we sang about his children, we have witnessed here. Jesus, the Messiah, wasn't crowned and overthrew the Romans. He was crucified and beaten. And then they keep praying. And you can, just, you can just see the light bulb coming on. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and with the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. I mean, can you imagine if you're one of Jesus' disciples? And you've been following him for three years, and all of a sudden now he's on trial. And, and, and again, you, you've expect this coronation. I mean, I mean, you've been there on Palm Sunday when the crowds went crazy and bowed down before him. And you, you, you just expect everything to keep falling in place and for Jesus to become this amazing king who's going to overthrow your enemies. But everything takes a sharp turn, and, and, and all of a sudden Jesus is on trial. And and it looks like things are going back. What are you praying? You're praying, Lord, deliver our Savior. Lord, this is not in the plan. We we need a Messiah. We need someone to do what we've expected him to do. And yet it goes the wrong way. And now here in Acts chapter 4, the light bulb comes on and they start thinking, you know what, this was not a mistake. This was not the will of God being overturned. This was the will of God being accomplished. Oh my goodness, they're saying to themselves, it happened. And what they recognize here in Acts chapter 4 is that we are right in the middle of the fulfillment of big league prophecy. It wasn't a mistake. We thought, oh my, oh my goodness, oh no, don't, no, no, don't kill him. Oh, we're running. We thought the wrong thing. We actually prayed the wrong thing. We prayed for God to protect him, to save him, to enthrone him. And he didn't. God was sovereign. And he used even Pontius Pilate and Herod as pawns. I love that line. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. You have declared this beforehand. We thought... Everything had spun out of control, 
and yet you were there ruling the whole time. Wow, what a realization. So, so the dots begin to come together. What happened to Jesus was a part of God's plan. God had foreordained it. He used evil men to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish, which was for Jesus to give his life for mankind. And now the next dot is Peter and John. They were so popular when they first started preaching. But by the time we get to Acts chapter 4, their lives are in danger. Could this be a part of God's plan? I mean, just as Peter, just as Jesus and Pilate and Herod were all used as a part of God's big plan, could it not be right now that what we're seeing that looks so awful is really God working and even the threat that now is going to hang over our lives and the life of the church, could that not also be God at work behind the scenes? And so the dots begin to come together for them. And so it changes their prayer life. So get to the bottom line of their prayer. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They don't act like the threats aren't going on. But they don't know what to say about the threats. They don't say, Lord, consider the threats and take them away. Consider the threats and release us. Consider the threats and protect us because they now understand that's not always God's will. We don't know. So Lord, let me just throw it to you openly in a very neutral way. Lord, you just consider the threats and you do what you want to with it. But here's what we do know you want us to do. No matter what you do with these threats, we know you want us to speak boldly in the middle of it, so enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Not protect me, bless me. Guys, think about your prayer life. I think about my prayer life. What's the vast majority of it about? Well, would you do this in my life? Would you take this away? Would you bless me? Would you protect me? Would you protect my family? I mean, those those are all nice little prayers, but that's not what they pray. In fact, is it sort of shocking that we pray those prayers so much and the prayer we know they did pray was make me bold? I I ask myself, I ask you, I'm challenged by this. How much of our prayer life is a prayer for God to change our circumstances and how much of our prayer life is for us to be bold. Now, why do they pray this way? They pray this way because the light bulb has come on. Despite the fact everything looks out of control, God is really in control. And they have been called to be major players in God's work. And so they say, Lord, we we don't know what you're going to do. We don't know if you're going to protect us. We don't know if you're going to bless us. We don't know what's going to happen here. But what we do know you want us to do is for us to be bold in the middle of this. They have an amazing aha moment. Write down some things for me. Here's the things they learn. First of all, Sovereign God is up to something. God's up to something here. 
They've connected the dots between Jesus and Pontius Pilate and Herod and the Jewish leaders and John and Peter and the church and the threat they're under. And they've recognized that God is doing something. That God is not divorced from this situation. He's in the middle of this situation. Now, let's, let's talk for a second. This word sovereign is a pretty religiously loaded word. And then there are lots of interpretations. So, some in the religious world today would, would use, if they say the word sovereign, what they mean is that God determines everything. That, that, that God is so in control that he decided, he decided what Pontius Pilate would do. He decided what Harry would do. He decided what you would do. He's decided if you will accept Jesus or not, you don't really have a choice in the matter. Your life is already lined up. My life's already lined up. Everything that happens in the world is by the choice of God. And I understand how some people arrive at that. It's not what I believe. I I think you cannot turn to a page in your Bible where there's not some implicit recognition that you have a choice. Why does God get happy when you choose his way and sad when you choose another way? Because obviously you had a choice. If God had already determined which of you would choose him and which wouldn't, why does it make a difference to him? And so almost every page of Scripture says, you've got a choice about this. God doesn't make anybody do anything. You're free. That's one thing that makes you made in the image of God. You have that kind of choice. So I don't think the word sovereign here means that God has chosen what every player does. Well, what does it mean? It means behind the scenes, God is still in control. That God can use the good and the bad for something great to happen. Personally, I don't really believe that God made Pontius Pilate do what he did. Or Herod. I don't think he made them do it. I think he used them. I think God knew their hearts just like he knew Pharaoh's heart. And God worked in such a way that he could use evil men for his purposes. So God is sovereign. And, and God takes everything in our life. That's, that's why we love Romans eight twenty eight. It's a beautiful passage. We know that in all things, God works for the good to those who've been called according to this purpose who love him. All things work together for those who love God. What, is, is God saying that he thinks everything you've done in your life is right? That every choice you've made was the choice he would have had you make? No, 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 that's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is God is so sovereign, so powerful that he can take your good choices and your bad choices, he can put them together to make you a better person and to prepare you to do what he needs you to do. And and so the light bulb that comes on is that beneath all of history, there is a God who's working. He worked his will for Jesus to die and to be resurrected. He's working in Peter and John, giving them a platform to testify about Jesus. And he's even working in the early church's life under this threat. So the light bulbs come on. God, you're sovereign and you're up to something. Here's here's the really cool thing is, is point number two. And I'm invited to be a major player. I'm invited to be a major player. 
I mean, God, God's able to use someone like John, someone like Peter, people who, who just seem to have never gotten it together to do something big. And now here are these people, they're praying this prayer. The light bulbs come in. This thing's not out of control. We don't have to run. We don't have to be scared. God's in control. And, and, and yet he has chosen us to be his bold ambassadors and spokespersons. We are called to be major players. My best friend prays for me constantly, Lord, help Buddy to play big. And my friends, I'm telling you that God is saying the same thing to you and I. No matter what the circumstances of your life, he is up to something. He's working beneath all this, and he wants you to play big. How do you refuse that? What an invitation. What God is saying to you and I is, I don't care how messed up your life's been, how good it's been. I don't care what the combination of circumstances you face right now. God is able through his sovereignty to use all of that as a part of his plan. So number three, here's what hits me. Here's the aha moment of this message. My prayers must change. I need to stop always praying about safety and start praying about boldness. I need to stop asking God to protect me and ask God to use me. I want to be bold. And guys, whatever you're going through, if, if your life is being blessed right now, God's given you a platform to give him glory. If it appears that your life is not blessed right now, if, if there are threats over your life, if there is trouble in your life, I would say to you, you may have an even bigger platform to bring God glory. And the key word here is that we start praying for boldness. Now, what is boldness? Let me give you a quick definition of boldness. Boldness is speaking up when the opportunity pops up. Boldness is speaking up when the opportunity pops up. Now, now listen, sometimes when we think about boldness, we think about loudness. Being bold doesn't necessarily mean you're loud. Being bold doesn't necessarily mean that you go to the football game with rainbow hair holding up John 3.16 behind the goalposts. Being boldness doesn't necessarily mean you go down to court square and you start condemning the people that are walking by you. Being boldness doesn't mean that you're loud. It just means when the opportunity pops up, you speak up. You put yourself in a position where God can use you to speak his word. When your faith is on display because God's done something really great in your life, you give him praise. But also, when everything's going wrong in your life, you recognize he's still in control. Now, now here's, here's my problem. Maybe it's yours. I want to be bold for God. I understand that I've been asked to be his ambassador. Isn't that awesome? But, but here's the way my mind thinks. My mind thinks, when my life gets all lined up and everything's going my way, Lord, and everybody around me is behaving the way I think they should, and I'm behaving the way I think 
I should. And, in, in, and my life is blessed. And then, Lord, then I'm going to start being bold. But, but let's, let's get it straight. And, and here's what Satan does, I think, in our lives, guys, is he puts off us becoming bold for God on and on. Okay, Lord, when, when, when I, I get my, my family raised, then I'm going to have time to really be bold, Lord. When my marriage really gets good, then, then I'm going to get bold. When the church is what I think it is, should be, then, then I'm going to get bold. When I get over this illness, then I'm going to get bold. When I get past this trial, then I'm going to get bold. Listen to me, guys. Life is full of trials. That's just life period on this earth. It's one long trial. And if what I'm saying is I can't be bold until I get past all of this, the truth is I'll never be bold. And that's why I love this aha moment in this story. In the middle of this crazy mess where it appears the world's gone out of control and their lives are under threat, they know that even now is the time for them to be bold. And so boldness is speaking up when the opportunity pops up. It's when you're at work and someone's being treated unfairly, you stand up for them in the name of Jesus. It's when you're leading your family and you're about to make a decision that puts something before the kingdom of God, you stand up and say, let's put God first. When you've been investing in a friendship over and over again, and there's, uh, there's that obvious opportunity for you to speak up and to say something. You, you, you've tried just to be a good friend to that person at school. You've tried to be a good friend to that person at work. And now something's come up in their life where you've got a chance to say something about Jesus, and you do. When someone's hurting and you point them to the great physician. When you're placed in someone's life and the circumstances get out of control, God opens a door. When someone's being made fun of at school, you're the one that goes and befriends that person. When someone asks a question in class that obviously is a moment where you could say, you know what, I don't know what you guys think about this, but here's what I think the Bible says about this. When you have that opportunity to give out that right CD to someone who's in a trouble or that, that right Christian book that could make a difference in their life or to share a verse in the middle of their turmoil that would bless them. That's what boldness is. I, I think about the baptism that, that Nathan mentioned to you just a little while ago of Julian Barrett. I, I love Bruce and Jody Chestnut so much. And I'm in a, a group with them on Wednesday nights where we're always talking about trying to share our faith with somebody. And almost every Wednesday night, Jody confesses that she's not very strong and she doesn't share her faith very boldly and she wishes she was stronger. And then last Sunday, I saw them sit on the second row while Julian's being baptized. And I thought, oh, no, no. 15 years ago, she invited Kristen McKinnis to church when Kristen McKinnis' life was completely out of control. When Christian really didn't have a family, and she moved in with Bruce and Jody, and we saw that transformation. And now Christian McKinnis is way up in the Northeast, but her boyfriend, Julian Baird, who started coming to church with her years ago, who I really didn't know who Julian was until on Easter, he checked on his card, I'd like to get baptized. And I called him on the phone the next week, and I'm talking to him, and all the dots begin to come together. And God used an invitation and a, a beautiful 
example of love and service in Bruce and Jody Chestnut, not only for Kristen to come to the Lord, but now 15 years later for her fiance, Julian, to come to the Lord. My friends, that is boldness. That is playing big in the circumstance in such a way that you don't know when God is going to answer that prayer. That's what God has called us to do, is to be bold. So I want to challenge you to pray a revolutionary prayer this week. And here it is. Let's take this prayer and let's make it our own. Sovereign Lord, consider the threats in my life and enable me, your servant, to speak your word with great boldness. Here's here's my challenge. Would you pray that prayer every day this week? Every day. What could happen? Can, Can you imagine, I imagine, what would happen if we prayed this prayer? Please, Get the point. Don't wait till your finances come together. Don't wait till you're past all the depression. Don't wait till your marriage is what it ought to be. Don't wait till you get married. Don't wait till the children leave. Don't wait right now. Whatever your circumstances, even if from a worldly viewpoint, it looks like life is out of control, you begin to pray right now, Sovereign Lord, consider the threats in my life. You see them and enable me, empower me your servant, to speak your word with great boldness. Well, why don't we go ahead and start? We can get today's prayer done. Let's, would you pray this prayer with me? And would you pray it out loud? I love, I love Acts 4, when the whole church lift their voices together. I wish we knew how to do that. Why don't we do it right now? I want to ask you to pray boldly. And let's pray this prayer. Pray it out loud with me. Sovereign Lord, consider the threats in my life and enable me, your servant, to speak your word with great boldness. Pray it again. Sovereign Lord, consider the threats in my life and enable me, your servant, to speak your word with great boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. What's going to happen if this whole church prayed that prayer. I'll tell you what happened to this church. Look with me in Acts 4.31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. The place of prayer is a place of power. And when they pray this, The building they're meeting in is literally shaken. The Holy Spirit comes in. And one thing you're going to notice as we say the book of Acts is one of the great works of the Holy Spirit is to enable us with boldness. The Holy Spirit comes and fills them in a special way. And they become bold with the Word of God. I believe that's what could happen with us. We know We know we need a revolution. But my friend, for you and I to have a revolution, we've got to have this aha moment where we are able to connect the dots that even in bad circumstances, like the crucifixion of Jesus, even what looks awful, the persecution of the church, the deaths of the apostles, even 
When you start standing up for Jesus and everybody around you doesn't applaud, in fact, they don't like it. God is sovereign. He has called us to be his instruments. And our prayer life changes. We stop just praying, bless me, bless me, bless me, help me, help me, help me, protect me, Lord, protect me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And we, we start a new prayer, even before everything looks right. Lord, you're sovereign, you're in control, I know that, I can see it. The dots have come together in my mind, give me boldness. And I pray unto you this, God will shake your life, he will shake the life of this church, He will pour out his Holy Spirit on us, and we will lead a revolution. Today, if you need us to pray for you before you even walk out of this building, or you're ready to join this revolution, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?